Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold. And you know that our arguments will hurt our relationships. That's just a fact. And we're going to talk today to Dr. Glenn Pickering. He's going to help us undo some of that trouble that we get into. Because our arguments that hurt our relationships, we can figure out a good way to do this. And we're going to learn a lot about ourselves today. I'm so glad you joined the program today. Dr. Glenn Pickering is a engineer, he is a counselor, he's a minister, and he's a PhD psychologist. Always glad to have him and his brain on the show. Glenn, welcome. <laughs> Thanks. My brain is glad to be here. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad. All right. Your book on TAG is, uh, is a book that I love and I've read many, many times and given out to a lot of people. And I think what I'd love to do is, is have you, uh, again, remind us when we are playing TAG. Great. Let me um, let me do just a little background first, if that's okay. Then we'll jump into that. Is that all right? Of course. Okay, cool. So it says in the first chapter of James, it gives us three rules about how we're supposed to treat each other when we're talking to one another. And this is whether you're talking to a spouse, a friend, a kid, a work colleague, doesn't matter. It says we're supposed to be quick to hear. That's first. Second, we're supposed to be slow to speak. And third, we're supposed to be slow to anger because our anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Now, those three things are all important to remember, and here's how it come. I was talking to a couple the other day, and I said, anytime I see two people arguing, I know the exact number of people who are listening, zero. <laughs> exact number of people actually have a good point, right? Mm-hmm. Two. Yep. And so what happens is each person has their good point. They keep trying to make their good point. They keep seeing that the other person's not listening, so they make their point over again. That's basically what's happening while we're arguing. Now, and I want you to understand then that, see, and we violate all three of the biblical rules when we do this. So I just want to walk you through that because it'll make, help make all the rest of the time together that we have today more um, meaningful, I think. So we're supposed to be quick to hear. But remember I said, when two people are arguing, nobody's listening. So not only are we not quick to hear, we're not listening at all. Mm -hmm. It's a very worldly, very self-centered way to interact. And please understand, I don't mean that judgmentally. There really is no condemnation in Christ. We just need to see, oh, that's what's happening. When we're arguing, I just keep making my point over again, and I never really listen or acknowledge their point. Okay, that's fair. It's not a bad, it's just, it's just what happens. Second, we're supposed to be slow to speak, but see, in an argument, that's what doesn't happen either. Each person, when they're supposed to be listening, is really just preparing their response or their rehearsal or rehearsing. And so then as soon as there's any break in the conversation, instead of pausing, listening, acknowledging what the other person said, we just jump into the thing we're going to say. 
So was instead of being slow to hear, instead of being quick to hear, was slow to hear. And instead of being slow to speak, because we've given what they said a lot of thought, we speak instantly, but it's probably not even our turn yet. Mm. And when the argument starts to get a little more heated, we turn towards anger. That's like our first human response is to get mad. Even though if we're in a conversation where we feel uncared for, or unlistened to, or unheard, we're probably more feeling like unimportant, or misunderstood, or sort of sad, but instead we get louder and louder and we act mad. So, the three biblical principles are, right, quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, because that does not work for God's righteousness. And instead, we don't hear at all. <laughs> We're really fast to speak because we've been rehearsing the whole time. And we move to anger right away, which for sure does not accomplish God's righteousness, because God measures righteousness in two ways, which is why when the Pharisees asked Jesus what's the greatest commandment, he says, love your God with all your heart, love your neighbor as yourself. Right? So if we're acting in God's righteousness, right, we're in right relationship with God and with the other person. Well, if we're yelling at them, <laughs> we are not in right relationship with them. Our anger is not bringing about right relationship. In fact, it's doing exactly the opposite. So we just need to understand why is it so important as a Christian that we learn to break out of our arguments and do things differently? Mm. The reason is because when we are arguing, we are literally violating all three biblical principles about how we're supposed to talk to each other. It is literally a very worldly, I would say, way to interact with each other. And so it's really just not helpful. Glenn, if, I am, if I'm in an argument with you and I feel like I have to win this argument because I'm right, I'm just saying yeah. And yeah. <laughs> I start to feel like it's slipping away. My tendency might be to talk faster and louder. Right, exactly. Because and that so lets that, you know I'm right. serious. Right, exactly. And so, but all it does for the other person is make it so even more clear that you're not listening, that you didn't <laughs> hear a thing they said, and you're just so busy making your point, you don't know what they even told you. Mm-hmm. So, I get we say that as a way to break out of the argument, honestly, but honestly, all it does is is make that argument keep going more intensely in the wrong direction. Yeah. And eventually now, instead of reaching a resolution, which is supposed to be the goal, we just get to the point where we just break off the conversation, probably in a bad way. I can't even talk to you about this. Obviously, you're not listening. Or somebody says some sort of snotty thing and leaves the conversation. So we not only didn't resolve the conversation, we left it in a really bad place which means that conversation is unresolved, which means we're probably going to have this argument over again. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So not only have you not gotten any resolve on the argument, but you've done additional blowing up around it. So now there's more damage done. Exactly. And now the next time this topic comes up, we don't start from a neutral place. We start from the bad place where it got left last time. Yeah. Well, what what are the odds that that conversation is going to go well? Yeah, and this could be something that has been going on for years. Right. You know, you heard me say a long time ago about how so often couples come to me and say, Glenn, it's gotten so bad. We have hundreds of arguments every month. And mostly I listen to them and I think afterwards, I know you have the same argument hundreds of times. Mm-hmm. You are really having the same argument over and over and over again because it gets left unresolved every single time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that... That that was sounds like a circular um, problem. It just goes round and round, and hey, yes. nothing ever and gets, gets accomplished. Yeah, 
Yeah, and it actually gets worse and worse. Yeah. We feel less and less safe with each other, more and more frustrated with each other. We're more and more bringing edge sort of to the next time we have that conversation or any other conversation. There might even be a couple of days where we kind of don't talk to each other. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. We are so not in right relationship at that time. Now, I don't want to sound dramatic, but it sounds like then you're walking around the house on eggshells not knowing where the next explosion right. is going to be. Right. And finally, finally, one of us says something nice to the other one, sort of pretending that everything's okay. And we start just pretending everything's okay. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. All right. Dr. Glenn Pickering is my guest. We're talking about when our arguments are hurting the relationship. And I love how you set the stage here, Glenn. Should we now move into this understanding of uh, when we're playing tag? I think it's a great idea. So I want people to know these are just sort of five little rules of thumb I'm giving people about... Okay, once we get in that argument, we're not in, we're not being quick to hear or slow to speak or slow to anger. What can we do differently? And so I want to give you five tools that kind of analyze what might be happening just as a way to see how to break out of it. Because if I understand the problem better, I can see better how to break out of it. So one thing that might be happening is you might be playing the game that Bill was just talking about where we're trying to play tag, where um, it's a very worldly game. In fact, I wrote a book called Playing Tag, the World's Most Common Game. And I mean the world, as in a worldly way of interacting, where instead of trying to resolve a problem, we just don't want to be the bad one. We don't want to be the cause of the problem. So instead of looking for a solution, we just try and make them it. That's why I call it the game of tag, because it's just like little kids playing the game. You're running around tagging somebody else, and then you're not it. Mm -hmm. The whole goal of the game is not to be right or to reach resolution. Just like in the little kid game of tag, the whole goal is to just not be the bad one. I don't want it to be my fault. I don't want to be it. I don't want to be the one to blame. And it's crazy. That's so hurtful. Because the only way then in that game of tag to not be it, let's say I'm feeling like I'm it. Somebody criticized me or said something bad about me, a friend, a colleague, my partner, it doesn't matter. And I don't want to be it. So you watch a little kid play the game of tag and somebody tags them. So now they're it. So what's the first thing they do? They tag somebody else as fast as they yeah, can. They chase after somebody else. It's not going to be my fault. And they scream out, not it, as they run like crazy in the yeah. opposite direction. There's no there's oh. no teamwork anywhere. Oh, there's no teamwork. And so the whole goal in this game, if I feel criticized or judged or like maybe I did something wrong, is instead of just acknowledging it or admitting that I might have screwed that up or maybe I could have done that better, I instead want to blame somebody else. And, um, and the problem, of course, then is if I'm trying to make the other person a bad one, just like in any argument, I'm not living according to godly principles. If I'm playing tag, I'm definitely not living according to the godly principle about, you know, when Paul talks in Philippians 4 eight, whatever is good, whatever is wonderful, whatever is excellent, whatever is worthy of praise, think about these things. I'm not looking at that person and thinking of what's good about them or what's great about them or how precious they are to me and to God. I'm thinking about a way to make them the bad one. Mm-hmm. Like so that they will literally feel bad about themselves. Well, let's be honest, that's not a godly plan to have his children walk around feeling like they're bad people. That's not right. That's what Satan would want us to think about ourselves. That can't be right. But when we're playing tag, that really is what happens. If somebody walks away feeling like a really, really bad person, and probably both people do, because they take turns making each other it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so, and so if people think, okay, Glenn, maybe that's right. Maybe that first thing is what we're doing when we have arguments. So what can we do instead? 
It's important to come back and see that other person as God sees them. Take a little break and just think, okay, who is it this I've been arguing with? An enemy? No. A terrible person? No. A person, a kid, a friend, a colleague, a partner that I love and care for. Somebody who's a precious child of our God. Oh my gosh. I've been seeing them wrong. I've been seeing them the way God, this evil one would want them to see themselves. I need to come back and ask God to help me. Help me see them as they are. We're going to take a break. We can't come back until we've taken some time to let God help us see that person for who they are. I was at a great conference one time. Me and Gwen actually invited a speaker part of it down in Florida, which is really fun. And this one speaker said this powerful thing. He said, I have always known that, you know, God is my father. And of course, God is also my wife's father. He said, but it just hit me the other day that that means God is also my father-in-law. Like, right, like God is very, very, very interested in how we're protecting the people he brought into our life, his other children. And we need to remember that's who we're talking to. So if we're playing tag, we can tell we're kind of making the other person a bad one and making them it instead of looking for a solution. Our first step is to stop and think, okay, God, help me to see this person as you see them. Help me see the truth about them for who they really are as you would see them. And then I can come back to that conversation. Yeah. Even a a very simple question would be, Glenn, are you being nice to each other? Yes. Right. Are you being good? Uh, Yeah. Are you being good to one another? Yeah. It says in the scripture, we're supposed to lift each other up, not tear each other down. So are we good? Are we being loving? Are we lifting one another up? Mm. And if we're not... And we just have to be humble enough to admit, oh, golly, I really haven't been. Again, not in a condemning way. There's no condemnation in Christ. Just in a dead, honest way. Okay, I have not been talking to Gwen as if she's this person I adore. Okay, that's just true. That has to stop right now. So I'm going to take a minute and let God remind me how incredibly precious she is to me before I open my mouth again. Boy, that's a that's a great... Great strategy to hold in your head and in your heart. Now, Glenn, we're going to take a little break. When we come back, we're going to continue. I'm sorry? Oh, great. Good. Yeah, we're going to take a little break. We'll come right back with Dr. Glenn Pickering. You can learn more about him at drglennpickering.com. When we return, we're going to continue our discussion on when our arguments are hurting the relationship. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Bill Arnold, host of The Afternoon Show. Do you uh, still believe God is good? I think oftentimes when you share Christ with people, they want to ask two questions. Is God good and can God be trusted? So do you believe he cares about the condition of you and your life and your soul? And do you think he still answers prayer? Well, I promise Susie Larson is going to help you wake up to the goodness of God and point you towards healing and wholeness. If you're in for an adventure of a lifetime and to be used by God, just text the word good to 877-933-2484 to get encouraging texts, prayers, and devotions from our own Susie right to your phone. Connecting Faith to Life, Faith Radio. Welcome back to the show. If you just joined us, Dr. Glenn Pickering is my guest and we are talking about arguments and how our arguments are hurting the relationship, and we've got a better way of doing it. So you just tuned in on the right day. Glenn, as we were just going to break, we were talking about tagging it. Seems that 
most people just don't want to be the bad person. And do they do this because uh, they don't understand the personal responsibility? Uh, is it is it um, uh, I'm just trying to self-preserve? What would you say are the components that go into this desire to want to play tag? You know, this one is really deep. So um, let me talk about that just for a second. You know, in Genesis, Adam and Eve are in the garden. And they're living as God wants them to live in perfect relationship with each other, with God, and with their garden, the environment they live in. Now, the serpent comes along and convinces them that there's something wrong with them. God says they're perfect in his sight, but they're evil ones that no, 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 really, there's something fundamentally wrong with you. You should try to hide that so nobody finds out. And they believe that, so they cover themselves with fig leaves and hide behind the tree when God comes for them, which makes me laugh every time, like God's not going to know what they are. I know, it's hysterical. So, and then God says, okay, but now that you've chosen this belief, you understand your life will be cursed. Now, God doesn't curse them. God does not say, I curse you. God says, because you've made that choice, your life will now be way harder. If you start with the assumption there's something wrong with you, and you have to hide that and hope nobody notices. Instead of really understanding how precious you are to me, everything about your life will get harder. And here we are. Just like Adam and Eve, we tend to start off thinking there's something wrong with us. And we want to hide that. So anytime somebody's critical of us, instead of just acknowledging we made a mistake, which we wrongly think means we're bad, or see there is something wrong with us, Instead of just thinking, oh, yeah, I probably did make a mistake. You're probably right. Because, see, if I get what God says about us, that we're really precious in his sight, perfect, just as we are. See, we're not likely to play tag. <laughs> if I really get that I'm precious in God's sight, and I make mistakes sometimes, because like any little kid is just learning how to walk, they're doing what God wants them to do. God wants them to learn how to walk. And, you know, while they're doing that, they're going to fall down a bunch in the process of learning. That's going to happen to us. When yeah. we're learning stuff, we fall down and make mistakes. Now, if we do that wrong thing, we think, oh, see, that proves that proves that I'm not good enough. And we start looking for people to blame my mistakes on. Mm -hmm. Instead of just thinking, yeah, I made a mistake. So what? That's what happens when you're learning things. So this thing is really, really in us. We have literally had this problem since the absolute beginning. Because we're so tempted to believe the wrong thing that there really is something wrong with the person that God created. And because we tend to start off with that belief, we are so easily pulled into that game. Mm -hmm. I used to think it was a weird game that people play here and there and now and then, but I now understand. I've talked to people all around the world, and I see this is not just a weird little thing that happens sometimes. This is literally our default mode. This is what we do unless we're using our freedom in Christ to really see that person and ourselves for who they are. If we're not doing that, we fall back in that game every time. It's it's incredibly prevalent. Yeah. Glenn, if I just <clears throat> might just ask about the yeah. idea that God sees us as precious, which of course he does, but we're right. not in this conversation downplaying sin in any way, are we? No, no. Per perfect doesn't mean we don't make mistakes. In fact, see, that little toddler makes a ton of mistakes. But the only thing is, they're not ashamed to admit it. They I get don't that. think that 
they're a bad kid or that somehow there's something fundamentally wrong with them. Right, but they don't understand right and wrong. They're just learning how to walk, where but as an even, adult... Even, right, but even us, most of what we do is called sin. Honestly, we have made a bad choice. We've made a mistake. We made a bad choice. We, we did something that we can see in hindsight, boy, that was not really a smart idea. Yeah. And um, it was probably not a smart idea for exactly the reason we're just talking about, that God's righteous means I'm living in a right relationship with God or with other people. Well, if I do something that's intentionally hurtful to God or to other people, that's a sin. And I, because I've literally hurt that relationship, which is part of why we're always called the repentance. But repentance doesn't mean, God, I come before you, I acknowledge I'm a terrible person and this just proves it. It's like, no, I come to you, God, knowing I'm precious and perfect, and I still made that mistake. I still fell into thinking there's something wrong with me. I still hurt other people, and I'm so, so sorry that I hurt one of your children who was so precious to you. Will you forgive me? Mm-hmm. Yes. So, um, so what happens when we make those mistakes is we literally forget who we are. So, for example, I know, for example, that you know people are way more important to me and God than money or anything else. But I can look back at my life and think, no, I've made some decisions based on money. And they turned out they were always bad decisions. <laughs> and I can see so clearly now they were always bad decisions. That was a sin. I put money first. Well, that's crazy bad. Because mm-hmm. I was not true to myself. I literally forgot that I'm precious in God's sight and that God will always care for me and bring me everything I need. But see, if you think there's something wrong with you, then you don't really quite believe that that's true. And you start acting like Adam and Eve did. And, I see. Oh, man, that lives to terrible consequences. So we come back to God. We ask for God's forgiveness. God reminds us that his love for us is steadfast. It never changes. So what happens is not that God changes, that we come back to God and we are changed. We are brought back to just like when Jesus healed that guy in the in the cemetery, we're brought back to our right mind, to mm-hmm. our right self. Like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah! I literally lost track of the truth, and therefore I was hurtful to God and to other people in ways that I now deeply regret because I can see how much pain it caused. Mm-hmm. And the precious and perfect is what God gifts us with. I mean, He looks at us and through right. the eyes. Of Jesus, right. and he sees holiness and perfection. And yes. then we... And we, and, we need, right, and we need to understand what God means by perfect. So can I talk about that for a second? You may. Because it's really important, I think. See, we have, just like we have a worldly way of interacting with each other if we're not careful, we tend to come up with worldly definitions of what God teaches us, which is really not helpful. Now, the worldly definition of perfect is um, making no mistakes. Well, see, I can make no mistakes by doing absolutely nothing. Right. And when somebody say Glenn, I'm, somebody says to me, Glenn, I'm kind of a perfectionist. I was laughing when they say kind of, because you can't be kind of a perfectionist. <laughs> but I say to them, I wish you actually were. And they look at me like I've lost my mind, of course. I think, see, no, you think perfection means you can't make any mistakes. You're really afraid of doing anything wrong. You have to wrap that gift perfectly so there's no flaws in it, so nobody can criticize your wrapping of that Christmas present. It's all about the avoiding of criticism. I do things so that nobody can criticize me and don't make any mistakes. But see, if I'm a perfect toddler, 
I'm not thinking that my goal is to avoid making any mistakes on my way to walking. I think my goal is to walk. So if we're perfect Christians, like really literally perfect in God's sight, not in a worldly way, what that means is we're constantly learning and growing just as God would want us to. Certainly we make mistakes along the way and we're supposed to um, acknowledge that we make mistakes, learn from those mistakes, apologize to the people we've hurt and move on. And so that we grow deeper and deeper in our faith and deeper and deeper in our maturity and everything that we call, um, hmm, oh, I'm blanking on the right word, sanctification. It's about becoming a closer and closer and closer picture to the person who God had for us all along. That's why the refiner's fire is so important. We gradually drop everything that's not who God wants us to be. Mm -hmm. And so what happens then, if we're perfect in God's sight, is not that we don't make mistakes. It's that we're always going more and more and more into the person that he had in mind all along. That's what perfect means. So when God says, Glenn, your price is imperfect to me, it means he loves me like crazy with a steadfast faith, and he wants from me to keep growing and learning, getting closer and closer to him, closer and closer to others, more and more true to the person he made me to be from the beginning. Okay, that, that makes good sense. That's what perfect means from God's perspective. Okay. So if I think my goal is to not make mistakes, see, I can't be perfect in God's perspective because if perfect means I don't make mistakes, see, the best way to not make any mistakes is to not do anything. And that's the biggest mistake you can make is not that's to do anything. That's the biggest mistake you can make. That's why God was so mad in that story about the guy who got one talent that did nothing with it because right. he was afraid. Yeah. So when we say I'm perfect, and we get all, all messed up in my mind as people say, well, God, I'm not perfect. I make mistakes all the time. I think, you don't get it. That has nothing to do with how God thinks about perfect. God thinks about perfect like sanctification, like you are more and more and more and more becoming deeper in faith, deeper in maturity, deeper in caring, deeper in love, deeper in community, and deeper and more and more committed to our God. Right. And you are living a life that reflects that. Mm -hmm. That's what perfect means. I'm on a perfect path. Very good. So I can understand that I'm precious and perfect without even pretending that I don't make mistakes and don't sin all the time. Of course I do. Absolutely. And I'm perfect, not in a worldly way, because that's not possible. I'm perfect in a godly way where I'm continuing to become more and more the best Glenn that I can be. Mm -hmm. All right, Glenn, we're going to take a little break when we come back. I want all to right, talk cool. about the 50-50 rule that you talk about. All right. Uh, and it's this, a deal. This is... Uh, <laughs> This will get a lot of attention. This is a, a tough one for some, but I think you do a great job of explaining it. Dr. Glenn Pickering is my guest. You can learn more about him at drglennpickering.com. He also has a lovely invitation for you to have a 20-minute conversation with him on the, on the telephone for free. So all you have to do is uh, fill out the form, and you guys can arrange for a time to talk. There's no strings attached. I think you'll love it. And by the way, you'll learn a lot in 20 minutes. We'll take a break, and when we come back, we're going to continue our discussion with Dr. Glenn Pickering. It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. Primetime drive time. Let's get it started. Jump in your car. Yeah. What's for dinner? Hey. It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. 
Welcome to the show, especially if you just joined us. I hope you've had a great day if you're just climbing into the, the car heading home. We're talking to Dr. Glenn Pickering today. We're discussing when our arguments are hurting the relationships. And we just got done talking about the game of tag, which, believe it or not, we probably all play to some degree. And now Glenn is going to share a little bit about acknowledging what he calls the 50-50 rule. And I know for some, this might feel... Uh, not fair, but uh, Glenn, you're going to do a great job of explaining it like you always do. <laughs> Thanks. I love the intro. Hey, so oftentimes, um, because we tend to play the game of tag, we tend to have that childish way of thinking, like everything's somebody's fault. Oftentimes, when couples come into me for help, one or both of them are pretty darn convinced that the problem is the other person's fault. And if they would just, you know, get it together, everything would be fine. And they're hoping Glenn will tell the other person that they need to get it together. Um, but here's what I understand. When Jesus said, why do you see the speck in your brother's eye when you can't see the log in your own eye? He wasn't trying to be judgmental, although I've heard people talk about that in sort of judgmental ways. He's just trying to say, if there's a conflict between you and your brother, your sister, your friend, your spouse, your partner, your kid, or your coworker, instead of noticing what they did, you're supposed to look first and ask yourself, what could I have done better? What did I do that led to that? What was my part of creating that conflict? How could I have handled that better myself? Because until we're actually willing to look in the mirror and think, what part of that did I contribute to? See, we don't have the right to talk to the person about what they did wrong. In fact, it's so beautiful. Most people quit quoting Jesus when he says, you know, so why do you say this back in your brother's eye? You don't see the log in your own eye. So first, take out the log in your own eye. And mostly people talk about how you got to look at your own part first, which, of course, is absolutely true. But that's not where the story ends. The story ends with Jesus saying, and then once you've taken this log out of your own eye, you have the right to talk to your brother about the speck in his eye. Right. See, it's not that I have to pretend everything's my fault instead of pretending it's all your fault. It's that I have to take my responsibility my half of how that got off track. And once I've done that, I had the right to ask you to do the same. But until I've done that, I don't have that right, because then I would be asking you to do something I myself and I'm willing to do. doesn't make sense. All right, Glenn, this is, uh, this is hard news for some, and they're gonna, you're losing some right. people right now, which I understand, uh, because right. they want it to be 100% the other person's fault. And there's I know, a, and I, I, I totally get it. Yeah, there's a line in your book, which I have memorized in your playing tag book, and that is this. I hope I quote it correctly, but what is it about my behavior that is contributing to our issue? Right. Perfect. Now, if I ask that question, I think the defenses are going to drop. Right. Because now nobody's attacking me. I'm just asking myself. Yeah. And it's, you know, again, I talked before about how in Romans 8 1, Paul says there's no condemnation in Christ. And we're supposed to do this in that same way, not in a condemning way, not in a harsh way, not in a mean way where we're condemning ourselves. More just like literally as factually as you just said it. Hmm. What did I do that contributed to that conversation going poorly? Right. That's a fair question. And if I ask that question prayerfully, so I'm really asking God, God, help me see what my part of that was. God will show that to me with great clarity. <laughs> Sometimes yeah. I ask God to help me be clear about things, and I get so much clarity, I don't know what to do with it. <laughs> yeah, I think sometimes the conversations are, uh, what's bugging you? Nothing. And I go, okay, well, that's not true. Uh, right. What if I 
gambled away half of the family nest egg. Now, is it still 50-50 or is it, I'll tell you what the problem is. You have a gambling problem and you just gambled away half of our our, our nest egg. So it's kind of 100% your fault. Well, and here's the interesting thing. I talk with people about when there's been an affair in a relationship about this too. And I wish I could have a, a graph and an easel to draw for you, but I'll try and do it verbally as best I can. In a relationship, I always think we're always either going closer and closer together or drifting further and further apart. If two people start drifting further and further apart, that's on both of them. That's 50-50. If one of them then decides to have an affair, that decision is 100% on them. Okay. That's much more clear for sure. I so, appreciate that. Yeah, so, the, so the couple drifted apart. That's on both of them. But then if I make the mistake of having an affair, that's 100% on me. If my wife thinks, well, the heck with you, then I'm just going to focus on the kids and not pay any attention to you. That's totally on her. But how we got there in the first place has a lot to do with how we're both showing up in that relationship. Mm-hmm. We both could have come to each other and say, hey, we're drifting apart. This is really scary. We need to go get help. We need to read a book, go to a seminar, find a counselor. We need to do something. We need to work on this. We need to ask God for help. We need to do something. And if we both just, we see that, we know it's true, we can feel the distance increasing, we let it just drift further and further apart, well, we both let that happen. Mm-hmm. And it's sad, and it's not right, but but that is what happened. Then if somebody starts spending all their time gambling or taking care of the kids or working all the time or whatever the person throws themselves into because they're not home, well, that's totally up to them. That's how they decided on their own to solve that problem. But they didn't solve it by turning to the other one and saying, we need to go get help. All right, Glenn, what would you say if I'm in your office right now and I say, I'm having a hard time seeing my half because I'm normal. <laughs> Thank you. I swear to you, that's what every single one of us thinks. And I, I usually think they're sort of funny, but now I think, no, of course it makes sense. My way is normal. Yeah. To me. It's the way I was brought up. It's the culture I grew up in. It's, hap- it's how my friend group acts. It's like, so th- this is my version of normal. And I think that's normal. And anybody who acts differently than that, I can see that so clearly. <laughs> But I have a way harder time seeing my own stuff. It's really, really true. Because so, honestly, we start thinking that we're normal. And and we can tell that the other person is acting in a way that's not consistent with what we think is normal. Yeah. And we will defend our normal pretty strongly, won't we? I know. Because honestly, on some level, we actually think, no, that's true. I am normal. <laughs> and it's really important to sort of drop all that. Yeah. Like, yeah. And every normal human being makes roughly, in their lifetime, 84,000 mistakes, plus or minus two. Okay. So it's normal to make a lot of mistakes. This goes back to what we were just talking about before, that if I'm perfect, I make a lot of mistakes. I learn from my mistakes along the way and become a better and better person. So it's fine to think I'm normal, but we need to understand, yes, but normal still means we make a lot of mistakes. Mm-hmm. And we're supposed to learn from them instead of pretending we didn't make them. <laughs> yeah. Very, very interesting. Dr. Glenn Pickering is my guest. Glenn, let's talk about what a real timeout looks like. You know, because sometimes you got to, when the, when the blood pressure goes up and, and, and the brain starts to, and the heart races, you're not going to make your best decisions. You're, you, no, you will only right. contribute to an escalation in the conversation, right. which is not going to maybe go well. So 
What does a real timeout look like and how do you take it? Good. Thank you. Um, when people are having a bad conversation, they can tell that it's going badly. I teach them to do this series of steps. Whoever notices it says, I think we should take a break. We. Because remember, we're already heightened. So anything that has the word you in it is just going to pour more gasoline on that fire. You're right. talking about we have to take a break. So I think we should take a break. The other person has to say, thank you for noticing and stop talking. Now, it's so tempting to think, okay, okay, but let me just finish making this point. But remember, in an argument, each person has a good point that they're making and nobody's listening. So repeating your point for the 12th time is probably not going to be helpful. <laughs> yeah. So if, so if Gwen says, "Hun, I think we should take a break. It's my job to say, thank you for noticing. And we stop talking right there. Not another sentence, not another word, nothing. Because any additional words would just pull us farther off the track. I always think it's like a train that gets off the track and the engineer says, no, no, if I keep driving, I'm sure it'll improve. No, you just keep getting further and further off the track. The situation will get worse and worse and worse. The best thing that can happen when it's off track is to shut down that train right now. Mm -hmm. And it's, you can shut it down right off when it jumps the track. It's going to be way easier to get that thing back on the track. So the instant one of us notices, oh, we're having one of those conversations, where it starts to get a little loud and we don't really get to resolution and we're just going to walk away feeling bad. Whoever notices that we're doing that says, I think we should take a break. And the other one has to say something like, you know, thanks for noticing. And they stop talking. Now, then we need to go off in a corner and do whatever we need to do to let that adrenaline wear off. Because when we have adrenaline in our system, we don't think very clearly that part's been scientifically proven. So, but mostly when people do sort of calm down a little, all they're doing then at that point is sort of rehearsing the argument they were already making. So instead of now coming back where they have a different conversation in their head, they're just having virtually the conversation that previously they're having actually. Well, so we're just going to pick up that conversation in the same dumb place we left it. But it's not going to be helpful. So if we take a break, let the adrenaline wear off, our job is to stop and think, okay, what was that other person trying to say? And they come back ready to summarize what they said, not to repeat my point, which is a very worldly way to act, but to come back and summarize their point, which is a very a way more humbling way to act and a way a way that's focused on honoring them, you know, because we're supposed to look to the needs of others, not just ourselves. So if a guy and a gal are arguing, the guy should be the first because guys are supposed to lead in the right kind of way. It's you've got guys should have to come back when they're both ready to say, you know, I'm sorry for my half of how that got off track. Mm. I think you were just trying to say dot, 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 and then give my best one sentence something. Because remember, we have arguments because we each have a good point and we can tell the other person's not hearing it. So the way to break that pattern is to let the other person know I actually heard what they said. Mm -hmm. All right, Glenn, I'm going to formulate some questions uh, for you after the break because I've got okay. a couple that are just, um, just dying to ask. So we're going to take a break. Right. Dr. Glenn Pickering is our guest. You can learn more about Glenn at drglennpickering.com. Be right back. When you sponsor a child in need, you change their life. Your child learns that God loves them more than they can imagine and that he has special plans for their life. Your child gets help with school and is taught leadership, life skills, and how to overcome poverty and succeed. Your child gets nutritious food and vital medical care that often saves lives. You might not be able to change the world, 
but for one child, you can change theirs. Meet the kids, find your child at MyFaithRadio.com. Welcome back to the show. Dr. Glenn Pickering is my guest today, and we're talking about arguments, and arguments are hurting the relationship that we have, and we're going to figure out a better way to do it, and Glenn is making us aware of how we're going about it and how we can do it better. So, Glenn, I've got a couple of points I'd like to to ask. When you talk about we need to take a time out, is that a ground rule that we have talked about in advance? Oh, gosh. Absolutely. Okay. We not, only have to, we not only have to agree that we're going to take a time out, we have to agree how we're going to do it. Okay. That's why I teach people. Whoever notices it says, I think we should take a break. We, no finger pointing. Okay. The other, person, the other person has to say, thank you for noticing and stop talking. Okay. Now, is that a device that could get abused? Yes. But here's the really cool thing. So can anything. Um, but if people use it in the right way, that would be super helpful. And I, I don't mean to be flippant about soaking anything. I mean, God made sex and food and exercise really, really good things for the human race. And a lot of times we mess that up. But it's, we don't mess it up because they're bad things. We mess it up because we don't use it right. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? It's like I, we misuse this thing that's supposed to be a beautiful gift of our Lord. So this is supposed to be a beautiful gift for a couple like when they get arguing they no longer have to let it get ugly they no longer have to let it go on and on they no longer have to waste hours in that argument they can just do this really simple thing hey i think we should take a break thank you for noticing we take a break we let the adrenaline wear off we come back ready to summarize what the other person said and if people are using willing to use that beautiful gift exactly as it's intended they will find that the effect on their relationship is literally miraculous mm-hmm. And I'm guessing, Glenn, if you're going to take a break and a little time out and you're going to try to reset your thinking, the first thing you should do is go to prayer. Yes. Oh, my gosh, yes. Absolutely. And it goes back to what we talked about before, to remember, who am I talking to? Because it helps me if I'm all worked up and all thinking my point, I got to go make my point even better. It's like, no, 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 no. You made your point 17 times already. You need to drop all that crap. Remember how important Gwen is to you, just like we were talking about a second ago. Let God remind me of who she actually is in his sight, how precious she is to him and to me. Now she's given her whole life to try and be a good wife to me. And I need to honor that when I come back and talk to her. All right. So she should literally feel honored when I say, I'm sorry for my half of however that got off track. I don't even have to know how. I just have to know it was partly me, and I'm sorry for whatever I did that got us off track. I think you were just trying to say, and then I have to, with all the integrity in me, give a one or two sentence summary of what I think she was saying. And hopefully this will help us stop the lies that are going on in the back of our head. Yes, right. All the crazy things we tell ourselves that I got to protect myself. I got to be right. I got to, I, this just proves I'm the bad one. I don't want to be the bad one. Somebody else has to be the bad one. All that crazy stuff. And it just comes back to God's truth. There's a person in front of me who God wants me to honor with everything I've got in me. Mm. Okay. So let's talk about, uh, you know, we're not taking one topic at a time. Explain that. Yeah, Gwen Gwen taught me this really helpful thing early in our marriage. She came to me and said, Glenn, I'm really upset with you because you did dot, 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 dot. And I was like, but honey, you did that just the other day. And she stopped and she said, no, Glenn, it's my turn. Mm. <laughs> this might have been a script that she'd never been with me. And she yeah. wasn't me. 
no, no. Really because if we're going to have my talk and your talk at the same time, it's just like throwing a whole bunch of mud in that water. We're never going to get to the end of it. So she was absolutely right. I had to totally listen to what she said, make sure I understood what she said, figure out what we're going to do about that. Then she said, and then it's your turn. If you have something else you want to bring up, I will listen to you, I promise. But we can only do things one at a time. And I, that was incredibly helpfully clarifying to me in a very sort of almost take me back kind of way, like, wow. That just stops every knee-jerk reaction I have. <laughs> oh, it would have to, Glenn. It would right. have to stop every knee-jerk because you're not allowed um, to do that. Right, exactly. So when James says, well, quick to listen, Glenn is just pointing out, this is an example. If she comes to me and says, Glenn, there's something I'm kind of frustrated with you about. It's my job to drop the defending, drop making my point, all that talking, arguing, angry, and just say, okay, what happened then? And if I did something that was hurtful to her, like we just talked about, because, you know, we commit sins. We hurt God and we hurt each other. Right. Then it's just my job to say, I'm really sorry that I hurt you. And if you Period. just no. listen to her, Glenn, yeah. you're giving her this yeah. gift of understanding. Yeah, so now she feels understood. And I promise you, in a friendship, and a marriage, we just want to feel understood. I swear to you, that's what we yeah. want more than anything. And as soon as we can tell the, actual, the other person actually gets us, like if we come back from a timeout, we summarize what they said. Well, if Gwen makes a point, I just drop all my defending and just listen to what she says. So if she can tell, I'm just listening. So if she can tell that I get it. We're about 95% of the way to resolution before we even figure out what to do because the important part has already happened. Mm-hmm. She can already tell that she matters. And well, the rest is just small stuff. And, and Glenn, is some of the freedom uh, from anxiety and suffering when somebody states that they understand you? I mean, what yeah. you're what you're dealing with might be a little a little wacky, but at least a starting point is I understand. Now right, you go from sure. there, and you might Absolutely. get free from some of your anxiety and anger. Absolutely, because I show people how I spell the word anxiety with a really big capital I right in the middle. I'm anxious when I say things to myself. I got to figure this out. I got to take care of this. I got to do this. I don't know how I'm going to do this. How am I ever going to? I got to make sure that I got to be. So as soon as I feel like I'm alone with something, then I'm anxious. I'm not anxious about the situation. I'm anxious about how alone I feel with that. So as soon as Gwen or another person that cares for me stops, slows down, understands me, I can tell she's on my team, so I'm not alone. I am dramatically less anxious. We still have a situation to figure out, but I'm way, way, way less anxious about that. I used to teach people a lot about stress management, and um, I just really came to understand after talking to so many thousands of people about this is that we think situations are what cause us stress, but it's really important to understand thinking we're alone with that situation is what causes us stress. Mm-hmm. So as soon as we've understood, cared for, like somebody gets it, our stress level drops like crazy. Mm-hmm. That makes perfect sense. It really does. Most people feel frustrated that they, they don't feel understood. You don't get it, right. do you? And right. there's we the big problem. You don't understand. And honestly, because we get so defensive about, you know, we're so busy defending ourselves instead of honoring the relationship, we don't take the time to just really make sure that the other person feels heard, understood, which is why, just to come back to the beginning, when James says we need to be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. If we're quick to hear, Gwen says, honey, that thing you did kind of hurt my feelings. And I'm like, oh, well, what happened? Like, I really want to know. Mm-hmm. Well, we're almost done, honest to goodness. <laughs> yeah, so Glenn, we still have a couple minutes left. I'm just curious, yeah. when it comes to defending ourselves uh, versus honoring the relationship 
in these arguments. Right. So how we do? How right. do we do that? But when we're playing tag, or we're making the other person the bad one, or we're not acknowledging the 50-50 rule, or we don't take a time out, we don't come back ready to say what they said to us, or when somebody else brings up a topic, we say, yeah, but you did it too. See, all those things, we're just so busy defending ourselves that we mess up the relationship. That's why all of our arguments actually hurt the relationship. The instant I slow down instead and focus on the other person, it's all done. But in all of our, all those five different things I've talked about along the way, all the ways we kind of get off track, the reason why we have arguments, fundamentally, they're all based on thinking about ourselves instead of about the relationship. Now, I'm not saying we think about the other person instead of ourselves. I think we think about the relationship instead of ourselves. So I was always afraid to speak up. I grew up in this really shy, quiet family. So every time I speak up in any relationship with one or anybody else, I'm not doing it to protect myself. If I was just protecting myself, I wouldn't talk. I'm doing it because I'm trying to protect the relationship because I don't want us to drift further and further apart, which is if I don't talk, that's what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. So, so go ahead. With just a minute left, I, I, I would love for you to address people who are might, who might be suffering t- t- today in, in a hard, difficult relationship, just to remind them that our relationships are everything. And, and yes, they, deserve to give it their best shot. That's right. That's so true. I, when they asked Jesus the greatest commandment, he said, love your God, and the second would like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. He's just trying to help us understand, if we get those two things right, a vertical relationship with God or a horizontal relationship with others, everything else in life just works the way it's supposed to. If we don't get that right, nothing works the way it's supposed to. And life gets so hard. And that's why playing tag, not seeing our 50%, just arguing always our point, not taking one topic at a time, are just ways of not honoring the relationship. And it's so important we have to start there. If I'm going to drop all my fear and just try to honor our relationship instead, what would that look like? And I think that question is so important for anybody, but it's especially important for anybody who's serious about their faith, because that's a big part of how God grows us in our faith. Mm, so good. Glenn, thank you for uh, this time together today talking about arguments and how we can do them better and gives us a lot of awareness. I so appreciate the, the, uh, the interview today. Thank you again. Oh, thank you for having me. It's always such a blessing. You bet. To be with. You bet. Dr. Glenn Pickering has been my guest. You can learn more about him at drglennpickering.com. That's our show for the day. I hope you have a wonderful evening and I can't wait to be with you tomorrow. Have a great night. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.